So we are in Acts. If you'll open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Uh, that's where we will be in verse 12. Let me say uh, uh, right off the bat, uh, Kyle Chesser did an amazing job last week. Uh, if you happen to miss last, yeah, if you happen to miss last week's message, I encourage you to go back on the web, our website or somewhere on social media and find it and listen to it because it was just fantastic. And, uh, and so I, I really enjoyed listening to him uh, this week, uh, and I know you will uh, as well. And just a quick caveat that you need to know, uh, Refuge, we, we guard doctrine uh, very closely here at Refuge. Uh, good, solid, biblical doctrine is very important to the life of this church. Uh, from our children's ministry and what we teach your children uh, early, early on to uh, our elementary curriculum and how we begin to implant the Word of God on Sundays when they come here to our refuge student ministry, they dive into the Word. They do silence and solitude. If you can imagine teenagers enjoying coming and doing silence and solitude and they are, they're ingesting that time and enjoying that time and hearing from the Lord uh, during that time. We are newly launched 1825 ministry. It's for 18 to 25 year olds. They're already diving into the word themselves. Uh, our music that we sing, uh, you may think that we randomly pick songs, but the music that we sing is filled with doctrine because like I've said before, you're going to remember a lot of what we sing, sometimes more than what we preach. Uh, and so it's important that you have those songs uh, in your mind and they are just reverberating uh, within your mind and within your heart throughout the week. And obviously from the way we preach, and again, I'm so thankful that we have men that stand in this pulpit who preach faithfully from the Word of God and uh, are faithful to the text. And again, Kyle did such a, a great job last week. Gospel-saturated, Jesus-exalting doctrine is why we're here. It's why we gather to make much of the name of Jesus. And so we offer no apologies for that. We offer no alternatives to that. It is all about Jesus here. Um, and as Kyle reminded us last week, the central message uh, that we preach is that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is our hope for each of you here. It's our hope for anyone that is watching online. It is our hope for anyone that, that may hear this message or any message that comes from refuge uh, that we want to know that there's hope found in Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. So today we're going to wrap up chapter 1 uh, in Acts. So you're already in Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Anybody need a Bible? Raise your hand. We'll put one in your hands. Uh, if you need one, raise your hand. Let me see it. Wave in the air so we can see. Yep, one right here. I will put one in your hands. Blue shirt's going to get you one. Anybody else? One right there in the back? Yes, sir. We fixed to get you a Bible. Awesome. Keep them up so they can see them. Right here, Carol. Yep. Awesome. Uh, Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 12. Uh, can you imagine the, um, the excitement leading up to this point? I mean, we, we just, uh, uh, Kyle just preached about it uh, last week. But just imagine yourself in the shoes or 
the sandals of the disciples uh, as they've just finished all the things that they've just seen, all, all the things that they've just witnessed, all the things that they've been a part of, the apostles, the disciples that followed G Jesus during the time. And, and so many in that time had listened to his teaching. And, and there's just litanies of teaching uh, that we have recorded in the, in the scriptures. And, and we even know from other teachings in the Bible that there was so much more that we couldn't even put them in volumes of books, so much thing that Jesus had taught. I mean, he taught about the kingdom. He taught about the, he taught the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about the new covenant that it was that was that he was in, instituting. And and so there's just so much teaching that we could never cover it all. Uh, but but think about being part of that and hearing from Jesus himself. And, and then remember Jesus' triumphal entry whenever he was coming into Jerusalem in the last week of his life and how people were, were waving uh, palm branches at him saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, the king is coming and how exciting that time must have been. And then from that excitement goes to just about the darkest day in history that we can imagine when Jesus was crucified. Whenever he was led away in a, in, in a bloody mess and nailed to a cross, Spikes driven through his hands, spikes driven through his feet, a crown of thorns on his head. The disciples and many others witnessed these very things. And, and then Jesus was dead. And such despair that must have been a part of their life. Just the gamut of emotions that was run during this time. Just the, the overwhelmingness that this person, this, this, this rabbi that they followed for so long had died on a cross the most vile way to die, they watched this particular thing happen to their king. And as they were huddled up and, and nervous and afraid and scared, I, I can't even imagine those feelings. We've all kind of felt the sting of death and, and the sting of what that happens when a loved one of ours dies. But can you imagine what it must have been like for the disciples whenever they were, they were like, we trusted this guy. This guy was, this was the king. We, we followed this guy. And yet he was dead. But then the glorious thing later was three days later, he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. This person who they had seen crucified, nailed to a cross, bloody mess, laid into a, a tomb, covered up, and, and a stone rolled into place so nobody could disturb his grave. He was alive. The stone was rolled away, and he was alive. They got to see him face to face, alive. Alive after a crazy crucifixion. He appeared to his followers. Sometimes he would just appear through a room and he was like, hello, you know. And he was like, here I am. And they're like, oh my goodness, it's you again. And they were just amazed and stunned. Can you see the swing of emotions that they must have been a part of? And, and then the final instructions that Jesus gave them before he ascended back to the Father. Kyle covered that last week in uh, the passage that he was preaching from in Acts that ended up in the end of, uh, of the Gospels as well, as well. And then he ascended into the heavens. I mean, that had to be that God, that God took him up into the heavens. And can you imagine seeing those kinds of things? I mean, they've just seen so much and experienced so much. Which leads us to today's text. I mean, what, would you, what kind of emotions do you think you would be feeling if, as we, as we get to literally this part where Jesus has ascended back to the Father and, and now they have gone and they are, they're like, what do we do now? What, what kind of emotions do you think you'd be feeling? Scared? Yeah, that's fair. Confusion? Sad? What else? Shame, loss? Yeah. 
all these emotions that are just wrapping up and swirling around in them. After all those things that I just touched on about what had happened, what do you think you might have wanted to do at that time? What do you think you would have done? Took a nap? It's fair. Nap's always spiritual. We're going to see what the disciples did and what his followers did in that time uh, in today's text. Today's text gives a little glimpse into like this 10-day portion of a life into the post-resurrected, the post-ascended Jesus and what his followers were doing. And so let's read Acts 1, 12 to 26 uh, together. And so uh, follow along with me in your Bibles. Uh, if you will. This is, what, this is what, uh, what, what was recorded for us. Luke recorded in 112. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they, were, where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allowed his share in this ministry now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem that the field was called in their own language, this word, uh, that is field of blood. It means field of blood. Uh, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied him has accompanied us during this time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside and to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And so, right off the bat, um, we see that Jesus commanded in verse 4, what he commanded in verse 4 was obeyed in verse 12. Look at verse 4 from last week. This is, this is what the text says. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So that, that's what he told them. He was like, don't leave here. Don't go away. Don't split up. I just need you to go together somewhere and just wait. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to wait, okay? If I got people, where's my people that don't like to wait? Where are you? Yeah, okay, I see you. I don't know what's wrong with the rest of you, but I don't like to wait at all. 
I mean, for the most of my life, I've had trouble like just sitting still and just being still and, and not doing something else. Uh, I, I, I have trouble just waiting. I, I, have put, I have trouble being patient and, and just sitting quietly places. I feel so unproductive. You with me? Like if I'm not doing something, I'm like, why, why am I awake? Why, why am I in existence if I'm not doing something? I feel like there's always something much more valuable that I can be doing besides just waiting, right? Surely waiting is not what I need to be doing at this time. And I can imagine that the disciples during that time were like, he just wants us to wait. Just wait. Let's just wait for just a second. Everybody, put your hands to your side. And we're going to wait on me to say something. That's like 20 seconds, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, whew, somebody got to say something. We, we got to move on here. So sometimes it's hard for us to wait, but sometimes waiting is the best thing. Sometimes just waiting is the best thing for us to do. And especially if our waiting is accompanied by what we see this group of people doing while they were waiting for instruction. Look at verse 14. And all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. What were they doing? They're praying. They were praying. And how were they praying? The Bible says they were all crammed into a Honda. <laughs> right? They were all doing it in one accord. Yeah, okay. That's my dad joke for the day. Okay. Back to the text. <laughs> Sorry. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And so the first thing that characterized the early church, the first thing we see right off the bat when it was coming into existence was prayer. We see, and that's what was happening. The church was kind of starting to be birthed. It was like the stirring in the very beginning that the church was about to explode onto the scene. And the first thing they were doing was praying. They weren't running out and storming the gates of hell or anything like that. that that's coming. That, that'll be down the road for sure. We see some of that happening in Acts as we get down the road. But the resurrected and now ascended Jesus instructed them to just go and to just wait. And while they were waiting, they prayed. See, this early church was obedient. This early church was obedient. They heard Jesus tell them something to do. And what did they do? They did it. Whatever he said, whatever he told them to do, they just absolutely did it. I, 
They waited and they prayed. Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to turn there. You don't necessarily have to turn with me, but you're welcome to if you want to. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. This is what the text says. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father uh, who sees in secret will reward you. There's multiple, uh, multiple places throughout the New Testament where we see people going and praying. Whenever you're sick, you're supposed to call for the elders of the church to pray over you. Uh, whenever we are in distress, we're called to pray and stop and ask for help. We're called to pray without ceasing, to lift our requests, make our requests be made known to God. Philippians chapter 4, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Those of you who are anxious, those of you who are filled with anxiety, that's not something to live in. That's something the, the scriptures tell us whenever we're anxious, be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then it says the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. But not only did they wait like Jesus told them to, there was a certain characteristic that Luke records that was present then and crucial to a group of people together who followed Jesus. This is crucial. It was crucial then, and it's crucial for us today. The early church was not only obedient, but they were also with one accord. They were with one accord. Accord. They came as a, as a unified body. They lived as a unified body. The overwhelming majority of us like to belong to something. Would you agree with that? Like we like to belong to anything. Just, just be part of the group. Be part of something. We don't like to lone ranger it very much. I mean, we like to be part of a family that loves and cares for us. And I recognize that some of you may be in the middle of something that's you're butting heads with your family. I get that. But we long for family. We long to be part of a family that loves and cares for one another. Uh, we, we'd like to be part of our school class, 1986 high school, baby, Cassie High School, Aggies. I love being part of my class. I love seeing people that I graduated high school with. I, I, I love that. I know that that's the class that I'm a part of. We love calling ourselves Americans. We're part of a country. Sometimes we're part of clubs, whether you're part of the Kiwanis or some kind of a club like that. We love being parts of, parts of teams. There's, there's guys and girls in here that, that play softball or baseball or football, and we love being parts of teams. Maybe you're in the marching band. You're, you're a team and you're a unit. You're not on your own. We love to be together. And following Jesus is much the same way. And you're like, how is following Jesus like being in the Kiwanis? Well, <laughs> glad you asked. Uh, we're part of something. I mean, we are part of something. Jesus called a group of disciples, not just one. He called a group of disciples together. And the church is, or at least should be, a grouping of disciples, a disciples of Jesus that live on mission that Jesus has sent us on. You hear us talk about that over and over and over here at Refuge. And we don't do that because we're trying to create some new system. We do that because that's what we see in the scriptures. 
We're calling you to something that we see Jesus calling his followers to. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, Jesus, through your pastors and your teachers, are calling you to the same thing. Remember from last week, uh, from chapter uh, 1, verse 8, this is what uh, the text said. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. He's like, he didn't talk about one person. He said, you group of people will be my witnesses. This is what I'm calling you to. This is the mission that I'm calling you to. This is why, this is what you'll do for the rest of your life is be a witness to my life and my death and my resurrection. And this is why we remind you each week of your identity in following Jesus. We say, what are you? And you say what? Missionaries. And listen, the last thing we want that to happen is for that to become some rote thing that you just say over and over. That's not what we're about. It is a literal reminder for you that as you walk out of these doors today, you have an identity. Because you're a follower of Jesus, you have a calling to be a missionary, to be on mission with the good news that Jesus rescues sinners. But we're called in this not to go it alone but to be all in this together. But no one, say no one. No one has ever been saved or who has come into the kingdom as a group. Nobody comes in as a group. Though we're called and we're sent as a group, we're called to be missionaries as a group. No one comes into the kingdom as a group. No one has ever been saved by somebody else's faith. In the final analysis, whenever you stand before God, and you will, whether you believe it or whether you don't believe it, whether you think about it or you don't think about it, one day you personally, by yourself, will literally stand before God. And your status at that point will rise and fall on your faith in Jesus or your lack of it. Really, it's his righteousness that we're standing in if you're a follower of Jesus. But what did you do with Jesus? This is a question you all must answer. Did you repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in his righteousness or did you reject him? All of us will have to answer for that very, that very question one day. We don't know when that day is. See, redemption is personal. Redemption is individual. You must repent and believe the gospel yourself. This is not something that you can ride on the pastor's coattails. Hey, I went to refuge and that pastor Scott, he could, they could preach and, and man, we liked going there and those band people could sing and man, we opened our Bibles together. I mean, you know, and, and we went to gospel community together and, and, and we, we, uh, we ate together and, and we served together and we did all that stuff together and that's not the question. What have you individually done with Jesus? Repented and believed the gospel or rejected the gospel? Not what I've done. But what have you done? It's our prayer. It's our hope that each of you will do that, that you will follow Jesus, that you'll repent of your sins and put your faith in the finished work of Jesus. Today could be your day of salvation. 
If you're outside the household of faith and you know it, or maybe you don't even know it for sure, but you're wrestling with what is this message of salvation? What do I do with this Jesus? Our hope is that today might be your day of salvation. And once we repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in Jesus, he places us in his church with his people together to work so that his name may be made famous. That's the circle that this goes in. That's the pattern that this goes in. And look, maybe some of you today, or maybe some people who are watching online or wherever that is, Maybe you've taken this individual mandate of, hey, I, I have to repent and I have to believe and I have to follow Jesus myself. Maybe you've taken that individual mandate too far and said, you know, I, I think I can just go it alone. I don't need other people. I don't need community. Uh, I, I don't need the church. I'll just go this thing alone. You know, in the same way that, uh, you know, it's starting to get a little bit warmer. Some of you are probably going to grill out some of this who, who plans to do some of that this spring? You're going to grill something? Yep. Let's pretend you don't have a gas grill, okay? You with me? Let's pretend that you're actually going to have to build a fire out of charcoal. What do you do whenever you build a fire out of charcoal? Just spread it out all over the place and then try to light it up? Is that what you do? Is that the first step? What do you do? Yeah, you gather it together, right? You stack it up together and you get your charcoal as close as you can possibly do. And you sprinkle some of that uh, Holy Spirit lighter fluid uh, on, on the charcoals, right? You let it sit there for just a little bit. And, every, and then you light the flame of it and it's, it lights up and it's burning and it's burning. And as long as it's together, it gets hotter and it gets hotter and it gets hotter and hotter. And while it's there together, it burns hot, right? That's the way a fire, when you're building it in your grill, actually works. For those of you who've never built a fire in a grill, that's the way it works. But if you take one of those coals whose red hot fire in the middle of this group and you set it even in the grill over to the side, what happens to it? It goes out. It loses its heat. It loses its heat. And eventually just goes out and goes cold again. It loses its heat and its capacity to be productive in the purpose for which it was made. Listen, Jesus follower. It's almost impossible to burn hot alone. It's almost impossible to burn hot alone. We need each other. We need the support and the fellowship of one another. Think gospel community. Think Sunday gathering. Think DNA. We need one another to do this. We need mutual encouragement. We need the strength and the prayers of our church family. Your elders are stoked that many of you are coming to refuge and you're going, I want to make this my home and you're gathering with us on Sundays. And, and, and some of you come to discover lately, you're like, hey, I want to know more about what this church is about. And you've come to discover and now you're going to be part of a gospel community group and, and now you're going to be part of our gatherings. You're going to go, I want to give to the ministry that's working here. And you start to give here and you start to serve here. And then you become part of this church family, which is what we hope for each of you. And this creates an opportunity for unity. If you're out on your own trying to do this thing, I'm not saying you can't live for Jesus out here on your own, but it's much tougher. We have an enemy who roams about seeking whom he may devour. Who's he going to devour? The pack of people that are over here together or the singular person over here who's like trying to do it on my own? Where does he go? He goes after the singular one because nobody to protect his flank. That's the backside. 
And so this group that we read about in our text today was certainly unified. And as the apostles gathered in the upper room, this text tells us that later like 120 or so people gathered with them as a group. And it was the very beginning of the church. And what did the scripture say? They were all with one accord and gathered together for prayer. All with one accord and gathered together for prayer. I've been reading through the uh, Refuge Old Testament reading plan. Anybody, anybody doing that with me? Old Testament reading plan? I see a couple of hands. Three, four. Uh, it, it is on the Dwell Bible app. We give that to you for free. And, and so I would just encourage you, if you don't have that, there's some cards out there. You can get that QR code, scan that QR code. It'll, it'll get you that Bible, that Dwell Bible app for free. We have a reading plan on there, reading through the Old Testament uh, right now. And, and it's interesting, as I was reading through it, he, here's what I saw, especially in this last week of reading. Um, uh, Old Testament saints, Old Testament leaders, whoever they were, and when they got ready to pray, this is, this is how they would pray. They would pray very specifically. I mean, very, very specifically. God, we need you to do this. Th th this very thing is what I'm telling you we need and we're asking you to do right now. And, and when they prayed that, they actually believed that God would do it. I mean, they, they believed it. They, they didn't half-heartedly pray. They were like, God, I need you to do this with these people. God, I need you. What is it that you would have me to do right now? And they would wait, and they would hear from the Lord. Wait to see him, wait to see what his answer was, and then they would see God move in great power. And then as you get to the New Testament, we, we see Jesus doing the very same thing. Many times we would see Jesus pray very specific prayers. Very specific. And believing that the, his father who hears him and sees him would actually do something with that. Very specific. And, he would, and Jesus would wait on God the father to move. And they would see God work in power right then and there. But today, the vast majority of our prayers. This is what I want you to think about your own prayer life. I had to evaluate my own prayer life as I was working through this own sermon. The vast majority of our prayers are rote. You know what those are? Same thing over and over again. You know, you know who says it, your blessing, at the, asks the blessing at the table? How many of you say the same thing over and over again? God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, by his hands we are fed, thank you God for daily bread, amen. It's like our prayers, that we say the same things over and over again, wrote prayers. The truth is, many of our prayers that we say over and over again have no power. Why? Because we don't believe what it is we're, we're praying about. We don't believe in the one that we're saying. We're just going through the motions, saying the same thing over and over again, not really believing that God's going to do something. We're just going through a religious exercise and saying the same things over and over again. And whenever we do pray, many times we're looking for instant gratification. Hey, God, I need you to do something for me right now. I know I've been praying these rote prayers over and over to you again, but now I really need something. But instead of praying about this over and fervently seeking the Lord over what it is, what happens whenever the Lord doesn't respond in a couple of days or maybe three? What happens? 
You know what happens? Say it. We move on. Right? I'm tired of praying this prayer for three days. I'm tired of praying this prayer over and over. I mean, I've prayed for three days and the Lord still hadn't done anything. Let me just move on. I guess I'll, I'll forget about that and move on to something else. We give up praying for God to do something and very seldom do we see the Spirit moving in power. Think about it in your own life. Whenever we pray like that, we very seldom see the Spirit move in power. Listen, church, prayer is not getting God onto your agenda. Prayer is asking the Spirit to align my own heart, align your own heart with the things that, the things that God is doing, with the mission that God has called us to. Not just giving a laundry list of things Yes, should we ask? Yes, the scripture tells us to ask. But it's not just about a laundry list of God, if you'll meet all my needs, then I'll be happy. The early church knew this. And so they did as they were told. They went together and they prayed and they waited. Now Luke doesn't tell us what they prayed about. He, the text doesn't say they prayed specifically about this or they prayed specifically about that. He doesn't tell us that. But there was certainly much to pray about. I mean, they could have offered prayers of thanksgiving for what they had seen, right? We'd just, they'd just seen the resurrected Jesus. They'd spent time with him. They saw him uh, ascend back into the Father. They heard him give some last instructions. So it could have been about that. It could have been time was spent in confession of their sins. They're like, oh my goodness, this really was like the God that we've been talking about in the old, we've heard about in our entire lives. And they're like, maybe they, they spent some time in confession over their sin. Or, or maybe they were praying about the birth of this new movement, the church that was about to come and be in existence in the, new, in the near future. They might not have known what it was, but they knew something was going on and they were waiting. But the reality is they were all together and they were all praying and they were all in one accord while they were praying. We're told in passing that the apostles were there with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, his brothers. Uh, and this is the last mention of Mary uh, that we have anywhere in the New Testament. This very place. Last mention of her. But there she is. She's a member of the first church. Remember what she said when she found out that Jesus uh, would be the Savior of the world? She said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary's son, Jesus, was her redeemer. And she rejoiced that he was the savior of the world. She rejoiced that he was her savior. Mary recognized that. And you and I should recognize that too. But listen, Mary was not a co-redemptrix with Jesus. This, she did not play a role in, in saving your soul. Yes, she birthed the Savior of the world. Yes, that's an important place in history, clearly. We, we celebrate those kinds of things whenever we talk about the virgin birth of Jesus. But Mary doesn't save your soul. Mary doesn't answer your prayers. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's, that's not my opinion. That is straight from the Scriptures. There's no need to pray to a saint. There's no need to pray to Mary. There's no need to pray to anybody else except Jesus. Uh, Jesus says, I'm the truth. I, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay? 
She was praying to her own, Mary was there to pray about what Jesus had just told them to do, the only Savior of the world. Now, let me, let me say, before we move on, just a quick word about the disciples um, who were there. The 12, or now that there were 11, that Jesus had called and said to go and wait and pray together. There, there are many times that disciples and apostles are used interchangeably. We'll see those words used, and you may have used them in the past kind of interchangeably, uh, but there is a difference. Um, uh, Jesus had many disciples, okay? Jesus had many disciples, and here Luke mentions 120, people who followed Jesus around, and he taught them and, and listened to them. And, and Paul talks about there were 500 witnesses who saw Jesus alive, whether they were disciples or not. But the term disciple simply means a student or a learner. If you're a disciple of someone, you are learning from that person, that they are teaching you something. And so if you spend time with somebody and maybe they're opening the scriptures with you, then you are a disciple of that particular, you can be a disciple of that particular person. Jesus was a rabbi and, and he had many people who learned from him and so they were disciples of his. But from the group of disciples, Jesus called out the 12. Jesus called out 12 men who would be apostles. And so as we said, a disciple is a student someone who learns from a teacher, but an apostle is an ambassador. An apostle is someone who is commissioned by someone else and given designated authority to speak on behalf of someone else. And so before Jesus ascended to the Father, he commissioned these men to be his emissaries, his ambassadors, as he gave them to write to speak on his authority. And some of you may say, well, I mean, I like Jesus and all, but I don't know about some of these disciples. Some of them were sketch, uh, and, I, and I don't even really like Paul's teaching, and so I'm not really sure about them. But, but in the New Testament, you know, the, the truth is Jesus didn't pen any of this himself. He didn't take, you know, a pen and, and write any of it. He was written by his apostles. So sometimes you can't separate the king from his emissary because the emissary comes on behalf of, of the king. He is speaking for the king. And really, one cannot separate Jesus and this mission and what he was sending his people to do from his apostles. It's why they wrote, and they were, he was right, they were writing on behalf of their king. And now, one of these dudes had gone apostate. One of these dudes had gone off the reservation. Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, and now Judas was dead, and they were gathered together, and now they, it was time for them to uh, uh, find another apostle to take his place. But, and so there's a lot to digest around that, but, but the, what we're seeing is in the text today, they were trying to find somebody to help them find, uh, uh, and they were laying out some of this groundwork for what it means to be the next apostle. Now, some people claim for apostleship for themselves today. There are people who stand in pulpits today, and they have the title apostle. I've considered it for myself, but I don't meet the criteria. I can't get the elders to agree on that one. And so since we operate in unanimous decisions, they are against it. Uh, and so am I, because the Scripture uh, is very clear about the apostleship closing with the close of Scripture. Uh, so what we see is, um, uh, uh, we, and we'll get to that shortly. Let, let's move ahead because I want you to see this. Look how the, uh, the text continues speaking about Judah's death. Look in uh, chapter 1, verse 16. 
Uh, Brothers, the scripture has to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Remember that story uh, from Jesus being betrayed, how Jesus led some people in the middle of the night to find him, and, 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 and Jesus was not one of those, you know, flashy dudes where you're like, man, he's got big flowing hair, and, you know, his, light, his face lights up, or any, that, that wasn't who Jesus was. Some of them didn't know who he was, and so J- Judas was said, i tell you what I'll do. I clearly know who he is, and, and the dude that I go kiss on the cheek, that's your dude. That's your guy. And so uh, he said, you know, he was, uh, uh, Judas became their guide to those who arrested Jesus. Verse 17, for he was numbered among us and was allotted to share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with a reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. Let's just stop right there with that nice little tidbit. Um, so, so this really tells us the, the gory details of Judas uh, death. Now, some of you who may be more familiar with your Bibles knows that this account that we read here and the one that's in Matthew differs just a little bit. Differs just a little bit. Matthew says that Judas hanged himself, and that, that's really where Matthew stops with what he's describing with uh, uh, Judas' death. He just says he hangs himself. Many times you'll see pictures, uh, you may have seen it like a, a tree and somebody hanging, especially when they're referring to Judas, and we'll see, okay, oh yeah, Judas hanged himself after this. But Luke gives details in Acts that Judas burst open and all his bowels or his insides burst out. Now, some of you parents, I suggest you take that home, read that to your children tonight right before they go to bed. Um, But I believe this account is helpful. R.C. Sproul says this. He describes it this way. Matthew said he died by hanging himself, and Luke gives the details here that Judas' bowels burst apart as he fell to the earth. And so just like two of us may tell a differing story or a, a different accounts of the same story, we see that happening here in Matthew's gospel and here as Luke writes in Acts. This suggests that, yes, he hanged himself, but he probably did it so violently in a violent manner that as he fell to the ground, his internal organs just burst out. I mean, his head might have come off. I don't know, but maybe when he hit the ground, his gut busted open and his uh, bowels kind of went all over the place. That, that's, that's what this is telling you. This is how gory and how uh, terrible this was a death. And it becomes this gory reminder of the end of life for Judas. And it seems like in this text that the disciples may have gone back to search the scriptures. We'll see that here in just a second to help them understand a lot of this stuff that transpired. And and so uh, we see that that Luke was going back to uh, David's prophetic words. Look what it says in uh, verse 20. He says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, uh, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. And so it seems like the disciples took this Old Testament prophecy really seriously and began to process what it said there, let us, uh, uh, let another take his office. And so let's keep going and see what happens whenever they were like, okay, we see this prophecy in the Old Testament and now we see what's just occurred and we're down a man. Okay. That's where they are. And so look what it says in verse 21. 
So one of the men who had accompanied uh, us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us, must become with us as a witness to his resurrection. They were like, we need somebody else that's seen this. And so somebody who's witnessed his resurrection, we want him to come with us. Verse 23, and they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, um, you, Lord, you know who's, who know the hearts and all. Show us which one of these two you've chosen uh, to take the place of his ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And so we can see prior to Pentecost, this was the, this was the, uh, this was the uh, a criteria for being part, part of an apostle. First, you must have been a member of Jesus' uh, uh, group, okay? You, you got to be in his, his uh, posse, got to be in his boys. Uh, and, and so Jesus banned the disciples from the beginning, back from wherever Jesus was baptized. You've got to have walked with him and seen him and listened to him. Uh, Jesus spent three years in an earthly ministry. You've got to be somewhere in there. You've got to be part of this group. Second, you had, you had to be an eyewitness to the resurrection. And so these were two criteria that they had to meet during this time to be an apostle. And, and the third one for apostleship, and I think what was the most important, is you really had a commissioning from the office um, by Jesus himself. Like in the Old Testament, the prophets were called by God, and, and you've got prophets like Amos and Jeremiah and Isaiah. As, as they write their books, they're like, hey, just FYI, I was called by the Lord to do this, and, and the Lord called me at this time, and this is what he told me to write down for you guys to know. And so they were like, the Lord called me to this, and that's why I have the authority to write these things. Uh, but Jesus was gone now. I mean, Jesus, Jesus had already ascended to the Father. And so how do you meet this criteria? How could you choose a new apostle if Jesus wasn't there to tell you who to choose? Well, the text tells us they used nominations. They, they nominated them, and they voted. And all my Baptist friends were like, oh, we're in a business meeting now. Uh, you know, well, what do we do now? Are we using Robert's Rules of Order? Or what, what are we doing? Um, and so they nominated two guys, and they cast lots. And I know that seems like gambling, but honestly, this was an Old Testament tradition that they used from time to time when, when priests were unable to discern what the will of God was. And they would, they would prayerfully cast lots, and the out, they believed the outcome was providentially determined by God. And so they, they kind of I don't know exactly how they cast lots. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how that happened, but they cast lots, and they're like, whatever this comes up to be, we're trusting that the Lord made it be this, and that's how it's going to give us our decision. So who were the two? The Scripture tells us that it was Matthias and Barsabbas. Now, as I'm reading this, I'm going, poor Barsabbas. I mean, you know, as, as, you're, as you're that guy, and um, how many times do you think that he had to correct people? Like, he's like, I am not Barabbas, I'm Barsabbas. Say it with me, Barsabbas. I'm Barsabbas, not Barabbas, I'm Barsabbas, you know. I think he had to make a very distinction, a very big distinction about that. I think it's probably why that he, uh, he said, uh, look, verse 23 says, they put forward Joseph called Barsabbas, who was called Justice. <laughs> he's like, you know what, don't call me Barsabbas, just call me Justice. That way there's no confusion here. But they did. Uh, so, so it went well back then as they, were they took these two, they cast lots for them, and they went on about their business. Now, 
Let me show you how this works today. Anybody that is high school or middle school, come up here really quick. Get up. Don't, don't even think about it. Come on. Come up here really quick. Quick, quick, quick. Run out of time. Come on. Run, run, run. Run, run, run. You come up here. Drew, you come up here. Stand over here. Yeah. All right. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, I need you to, Lord have mercy. Hey, here's some providential giftings from the Lord. Whenever we planted this church 14 years ago, do you know how many of these people we had? One. My oldest daughter, Leanna, who's now 26, she was literally the only teenager we had at Refuge. My gracious alive. We ought to celebrate. Uh, this is, yeah, come on. Come on. All right, so... Uh, you, these are your two captains right here, okay? And so you're going to choose your teams, all right? So choose your teams. We don't have time to choose all these one by one, so let's just divide them right here, okay? You sc I scoot over that way. Y'all scoot over that way. <laughs> all right, so uh, if we were choosing them, somebody would have gotten chosen last, right? And none of us like to see our kids chosen last, Right? Nobody likes to see that. It makes me sad. makes all of us parents sad if our kids are chosen last. Whenever we're playing tag, they're, they're the last ones chosen. We're like, oh, it's okay. You're really fast, honey. You know, <laughs> those kind of things. I know you could have avoided them touching you, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. All right, so uh, that's how we choose size most of the time. All right, you, everybody go sit down except you two. Yep. Now, during this time, during the time that we're talking about in our text, uh, you would have had uh, Barsabbas and uh, Matthias. And so you can be uh, Barsabbas and you can be Matthias, okay? And, and so th what happened was they cast lots for them and it came up um, that Barsabbas was the loser and uh, Matthias was the winner. And, and so as they sent Barsabbas on the way, they gave him a juice box and said, that's, that's really nice, go sit down. <laughs> that way he thinks he won, okay. Uh, but this is the guy they chose. This is the guy, uh, they chose Miles. And they said, Miles, you're gonna be the next apostle that's gonna, be, that's gonna take his place. And, and so in our day today, what would have happened? Many times, we would have taken Barsabbas and gone, man, that stinks for you, and I don't know if we can go on because I voted for him, and he didn't get it, and so I don't know if we can actually stay together. If this, is guy's, if this guy's gonna be the guy, I don't know about staying with this group or not because it didn't go my way, and uh, so I think I may just leave this group. That happens a lot of time in churches. Go sit down. Thank you. That happens a lot of time because we're all about ourselves. We only want what we want. We're not worried about the bigger mission that we get called to. We're just worried about who did I vote for, and my guy didn't get it. He got sent away with a juice box and got embarrassed here because he didn't get the most votes. But this guy got it, and I'm sure there was something going on, and he got it. So I don't know about this whole voting thing anyway. But the early church moved forward. 
And they move forward together. The early church moved forward in one accord. We don't see anything, nothing written about there being division over this. We don't see anything about there being some, some uproar over this. Verse 26, they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. In the will of God, uh, Matthias was chosen. God had work for them to do. They had a belief that Jesus was about to empower them with something to do. It's what he had told them when he went away. He said, I'm going away. You guys hang together and, I, and then just wait for your next instructions. And in the middle of all this, they prayed and they chose a guy and nobody was upset about it. Positions didn't matter to them. Who had the title didn't matter to them. Apostleship was not a jealous event. These people that we read about right here in Acts chapter 1 were in it for the right reason. They were part of the church for the right reason, to respond to the resurrected of Jesus and to obey what he called them to do. Respond and obey. Respond and obey. If you're a writer, write those two things down, highlight them, circle them. You can write it around this text if you want to. So the question becomes, so what? So what? It seems like there was nothing at all, even in the middle of choosing someone, that could detract them from the mission that God had called them to. Whatever it was, whatever it was going to be, they couldn't get distracted by something else. They were called to something bigger than themselves. They were sent to do something that only God could do. They don't know what it was yet, but they were trusting that they had seen Jesus resurrected, and because he was alive and raised from the dead, they trusted the fact that whatever was going to happen was the right thing to happen, and they were going to follow Jesus come what may. They believed that everything that God did was good and right and perfect. And it was not about them. And my message to you is, it's not about you either. They were obedient. The text tells us they were obedient. They did what Jesus told them to do. He said, you go and don't go anywhere. You go in a room together and I'll, I'll come back and I'll give you some instructions soon. They were obedient. They were unified. Not even a vote could distract them from what it was that they wanted to do. And some people who might have voted for the other guy didn't get mad and walk away. They were unified in what they were doing. Why were they unified? Because they were praying. They were all seeking what it was that God wanted them to do. Praying and asking and seeking and asking the Lord to give them a word. They were searching the scriptures. The Bible tells us right here. They searched the scriptures for what to do. And they were submissive to the authority of what God had given the apostles during that time. Oh, that we could be those kind of Jesus followers today. This is what we're called to. Obedience. Being unified. Praying. Searching the scriptures. And being submissive to what Jesus calls us to today. That's what it means for us as Christians. Listen, if you're not a Christian though, now you listen to me, I'm about to be done. 
If you're not a Christian today, your first calling is not necessarily to be unified or not necessarily to be searching the scriptures for what you should do in a particular situation. Your first thing to do is to repent of your sins, turn from your sinful ways, and follow, put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. And that's what we're calling you to today. If you're going, I'm not sure what to do with this Jesus thing, then come back and ask us. Our pastors are going to be standing in front of this sound booth. Come back and ask us what to do. We'll open the scriptures with you and show you what it means to, re how to repent of your sins and put your, what it means to put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus today. Believe the gospel. That's what we mean. That's what we say about that. Believe the gospel that Jesus came. He lived the life you cannot live. He died the death that you deserve to die. And he was raised from the dead three days later. And he is ever interceding on your behalf. And he's calling some of you to himself today. To become one of his followers today. That happens by repentance and believing the gospel. And we invite you to do that very thing today. Pray and obey. Let's pray together.